You know what's actually really fun about The One with Jet Li? There's a lot of things fun about that movie. Hello and welcome to Rationally Writing, I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 15, Multiverse Stories. So, first off, I'd like to say that a lot of my favorite stories that I've ever read or experienced take place in a multiverse of some kind. Magic the Gathering as the game, Stephen King's Multiverse is one of my favorite series of books that just goes on and on in the different chains. Kingdom Hearts is a game that I really enjoy, and it brings together the all the different Final Fantasy games, plus the Disney worlds, which include Tron and stuff. It includes, obviously, the unique worlds that were created for Kingdom Hearts, and then also you know, crazy stuff like Pirates of the Caribbean because it's under the Disney header or that um, some new games that Square Enix makes. Like, they keep adding new things to it. So I really like multiverse stories for a number of reasons. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, my, it's, my my first favorite is time travel. So I, it should all be downhill from that episode. <laughs> but Sliders, when I was growing up, I loved that show so much. It went downhill in its later seasons, but... Yeah, the Merchant Princes series by Charles Strauss, the Long Earth series by Stephen Baxter and Terry Pratchett, I thought was very... Ooh, ooh. I read the first one of those, actually. I liked it a lot. I didn't know there was a series. Uh, yeah, it's up to... It's uh, Long Earth, Long War, the Long Peace, Long Mars, Long Utopia, I think. Or, yeah, it's it's obviously... Uh, Baxter is doing them, I think, alone now. Oh, okay. It's, it's a very, very optimistic take on multiverse and it's very it's very heavy into that one concept and i I think that if you are if you're talking about how the multiverse is used a lot a lot of people and a lot of franchises will just sort of tack it on Mm -hmm. because of the things that you can use it for in stories um but it's sort of like secondary to that like uh dc and marvel have multiverses um marvel has its sort of it divides its continuities up into these like different universes and then doesn't usually have them interact all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they do have some crossover, but that's not, that's sort of incidental to the Marvel universe 99% of the time. Um, Star Trek does it paramount, but it's just for like one of episodes. Yeah. A lot of science fiction and fantasy will, will pull in the multiverse idea for a sub arc or like a story or something, and then kind of just either forget it or just go back to the standard quo of it not really mattering that much. Yeah. Whereas you have uh, shows like Fringe, and Fringe just takes that multiverse conceit and then just spends, you know, two, three, four seasons on it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, exclusively on that sort of. I mean, they, they do it within the frame of Monster of the Week. Right. As a TV show, it works well in that respect, because different location and place every time. Yeah. But, I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer did Multiworld 2 with, the, like, the demon worlds and stuff. It's a fairly standard trope in, in a lot of supernatural and fantasy stuff, but there's a lot of different ways to do it, which kind of makes it a very different flavor, depending on what kind of multiverse story you have. And for me, like, what I enjoy a lot about multiverse 
might be the the fact that it's able to kind of cheat, like it's able to pull in so many different settings and rules and and cultural differences, like without having to put them all in the same world where they have to interact with each other necessarily. So you can have that cyberpunk world, and then you can have the old-fashioned cowboys kind of world, and then you can have the futuristic world or the magic castles and, and knights and stuff world, so... Yeah, I think for me it's the same sort of attraction that I have to fanfic is in a lot of my favorite stories you get the, you get the sort of variations on characters mm-hmm. and on settings so you go through like di- these different variations of London and right. they're they're all different from each other and each one is sort of this this reinterpretation and this reimagining and this like this what if quality that I that I love about fanfic and then you can just have it all in one book. Right, and seeing the same characters interact with, with different kinds of characters, but also interact with different settings is really cool. The Dark Tower series, which is Stephen King's magnum opus, is kind of the linchpin to his, his multiverse, where the characters from the Dark Tower series tend to go into the different worlds fairly often. Like, I remember as a kid, just like that first time I was reading a Stephen King book, and then a character from another Stephen King book showed up, and it was just, like, mind-blowing for me. That was like, oh my god, this guy is here, and, like, he's got his whole history of fighting vampires in his hometown, and, like, we always wondered what happened to him after that, and, like, now he's showing up here, and he's getting to meet these other guys that I love, and, like, seeing them talk to each other, like, that was just a really cool thing. And I think that's that's part of what I, what I enjoy so much about it, is that it lets you tie together different not just different settings and characters but also the interactions between what you would normally consider like the main characters of different stories like kind of what marvel's doing now where they did their universe of one movie then another movie then another movie and then the the avengers tied them all together and and allowed them to interact that same spirit is what you can do with multiverse stories especially if they're over different books where you can do the whole have all these different personalities and different contexts collide and see how they do yeah and i think you need to be a little careful when you talk about like what we consider a multiverse story, right? Mm-hmm. So Dungeons and Dragons takes place in a when when we talk about Dungeons and Dragons, we're talking about the sort of standard cosmology as laid out in the Dungeon Master's Guide, right? Because you can have, and I, I've done it before, where you can have you just make up whatever you want, and you can have an actual multiverse inside Dungeons and Dragons, but. In the, in the standard cosmology, you have these four elemental planes of earth, fire, wind, and water. And then you have the, the plane of shadow and the plane of light and then like the Feywilds and stuff like that. That is not, to me... A multiverse. It, I mean, it, it is a multiverse in the sense that these are different sort of planes of existence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one way of conceptualizing the multiverse. But it it behaves very differently from... Like Jet Li's The One. Right, right. Right. So separate that it doesn't really make sense to talk about them in the same way. Because if you call both those things a multiverse, you're sort of losing right. the conversational grammar a bit. Absolutely. Because not just as a difference of setting, right? Because that different planes of existence that all kind of tie around the one main one of Earth or whatever, that's more of just a kind of... It's all still part of the same setting. Well, it tends to be fantasy, first of all, right? Science fiction doesn't usually have things like that. And also, it, it tends to be very unified around that one thing. So, like, the plane of fire, like, you don't... 
I don't really know what the inhabitants of the plane of fire might think, but generally speaking, they know that the plane of earth exists, and they know that the plane of water exists, and they know that, like, the mortal, you know, realm exists. Whereas in multiverse stories, most people tend to be ignorant of the multiverse. It's kind of like something that either only the main characters know, or only certain people in the in the multiverse know about, right? Yeah, and I think one of the... I mean, that's that's another distinction that you usually draw with with multiverse stories, because like, let's say that we had a, you know, made up or magic or whatever that let you teleport to another planet. Right. Mm -hmm. And you had a bunch of people who could teleport to different planets. And then those planets were like different. They had different civilizations that could play very similar to a multiverse story. Right. If there are just these different planets that all have human civilizations on them. Stargate actually does that. They go through the Stargate and they come out on some other planet that is invariably shot in the Pacific Northwest and they're all kind of samey, right? But that sort of plays very similar to, in terms of story, to a multiverse, right? Right. It would not matter very much if the Stargate worked differently and just took people to parallel Earths. It, it would, in the sense that, you know, people wouldn't have spaceships anymore, but... So, would we call these then um, parallel world stories versus multiverse, or multiverse versus planar worlds, or, like, how would yeah, you... Yeah, I think, I think I would I would take the D&D stuff, take the Shadowlands mm-hmm. and things like that, and put those in a sort of, like, planar stories. And then there's... And then I, I would put Stargate into the sort of pseudo multiverse stories because it, it so often is 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 uses the same grammar that yeah. you use for, for multiverse story. And which is itself, I guess, the distinction of multiverse versus parallel worlds, which is more of the meeting yourself from a different world, which is itself unique, a unique kind of story. Right. Yeah. It's very common for multiverse stories to have some element of alternate history to them. Yeah. And you can have like time travel stories that aren't really multiverse stories, but they use all the same tropes where like time changes and people are in some alternate world. Right. And I think that for multiverse stories, there is a uh, pretty common theme of just using it as the multiverse as a, a distant land. So, you know, a story about a person traveling to China and like seeing the different culture there and interacting with its peoples and whatever, that is not all that distinct from someone going to a parallel Earth where there's like a different culture and they interact with people and all that stuff. It's right. a very similar kind of story that is distinct from where you're going to an alternate America that sort of you know, and, and you meet a different version of yourself right. or, you know, there was some significant change in the past and you're, you're sort of going on this exploration of different strands of American thought rather than just going to a different, to a place that is just wholly different. Yeah. And it's worth noting that the distinction between what multiverse is useful for in fiction and what it might look like in reality are two very different things. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do something like, Someone uses their, you know, multiverse traveler device to go to an America where, where like the Nazis took over or fascists took over and they're like Nazis or whatever. If you're going to do that, there's not really a point in bringing in many worlds hypothesis. Mm -hmm. There's not really a point in bringing in a bunch of science unless you just want to 
cloak your premise in plausibility. Because your story's not really about that, if that's what you're doing with the multiverse. There are, um, there are certainly better explorations of the many worlds hypothesis, but most of them that I've seen aren't really about the parallel worlds. They're yeah. sort of about, like, binary splitting of... The rules of the rules the universe runs on, and how different universes with different rules might run. Yeah, but that's sort of distinct from from what what I would consider multiverse fiction. Yeah, uh, as far as I'm aware, like outside of of fantasy stories that do, like you said, the plane of fire and the plane of water, which themselves aren't really that different. They're kind of just like it's our like it's our world, but everything's in a volcano. It's our world, but everything's under the ocean. Like truly different laws of physics. The universes are very hard to write in fiction i guess i would imagine because they're not like you're imagining a world that is so fundamentally different from ours that it's kind of hard to write a story that we would relate with in any way where you know because you can't really imagine what a universe that runs on different mathematical principles might look like or how there might yeah. be living beings there that can communicate with you in some way that you would interpret correctly yeah there are like a few examples of that but they're they're very much focused on that conceit yeah. of, of being so wholly different. Yeah, or they tend to be Lovecraftian Cthulhu horror stories where, right. yeah, which which is probably the most accurate <laughs> representation of what a being from another universe coming to ours would look like. Yeah. But there's a lot of ground to, to plant story ideas in with the multiverse or the distant lands, or rather in the multiverse or the parallel world stories. The distant lands one where they're just like different planes, it's to me, is more just like standard fantasy where it's not usually groundbreaking or world-shattering for people to discover that there are higher or lower or alternate planes of existence. Yeah, and I think that you can do some interesting things with it, with the with the distant land sort of system, if you're doing a lot of hopping back and forth. Charles Strauss's uh, Merchant Princes series, which is written as six books, and then it, they did a re-release where it's cut down into three books. You get that omnibus version of it, but it has this sort of medieval world that's alongside our world, mm-hmm. and it is distant lands and like a different culture in a lot of ways, but it, it plays with it very heavily, and sort of because of the way the magic system, and I'm using magic very loosely there um because of the way the magic system works there are a lot of like world building things going on and a lot of like political things that get added into it so i think you can do distant lands in a a much more interesting way than just being the equivalent of stepping off a plane and getting into china right right but for the most part yeah i i don't think that's very interesting I mean, you can make it interesting. You can make anything interesting, but I feel like there's less room for a unique. There's less a variety of unique stories to tell there. Yeah, well, and, and they're just sort of different. You know, it's a different class of story. Yeah, because like any any portal fantasy that you that you do is gonna to some extent invoke the multiverse, but you're not really using it as a multiverse story, mm-hmm. right? Like to your emperor you have a guy pulled into a D&D fantasy universe. And that is technically a multiverse story because it posits the multiverse and it's one person traveling to the other. But that is just sort of used to inject a fish-out-of-water audience surrogate into the world to have things explained to them. Yeah, it's very common in fan fiction, yep. and it allows for a lot of really interesting stories to be told. 
it's also very direct in the sense of like the the multiverse traveling is limited. I, I've rarely seen a fish out of water like come to this world from this other world story written where the characters then continue to pull people in from different worlds into the, like it's usually just the one time, right? Yeah. Whereas it, to make it like a quote unquote true multiverse story. Like, if I were ever to find out that, you know, I just got pulled into some fantasy world from, from a bunch of wizards, my first question would be, hey, can you do that again and bring in, like, Magneto from the X-Men? Like, is that guy real? Because if he is, yeah. maybe not Magneto, but, but you know, some someone with more power than me, or just someone who I think would be useful to have in this adventure. Yeah. And one of the reasons this is so so prevalent in, in fan fiction opposed to regular fiction is obviously copyright issues. Yeah, and I think to some extent, and this is maybe a little unkind, but I think it's it's very cheap to mm-hmm. do. It's very like sort of ready-made drama inherent in pulling <laughs> a person from one world into another, and then fan fiction squared, so to speak. Because yeah, yeah, if, if you're writing a fan fiction, you're already using someone else's world. When you're Stephen King and you've written each of those worlds and you write a multiverse story involving two of your different worlds, you've written both of those worlds. But if you're writing a fan fiction of multiverse, then you're just taking as many different characters and worlds as you want to combine them in as many conflicting ways as you'd like. There was a a Harry Potter story I read once, which was kind of like supposed to be a grittier, more mature Harry Potter story. I forgot exactly what it was called, but it was like Harry taught magic to himself and and like uses guns to kill Voldemort and everything, like sniper rifles and stuff. And it was was alright. It was an interesting story. It had some, some unique things about it. But the sequel apparently pulled in the GDI versus Nod fight from from Command and Conquer, and I think like Starcraft showed up too or something like that. And I don't really remember because I kind of stopped reading it. But it was it, it got to the point where it was just like it, it loses cohesion very quickly. Yeah. And it can be fun, but it, but it's it's harder in my view for it to be as interesting in the disciplined way that I, I usually find multiverse stories when they're not pulling from different worlds and it's a balancing act i think yeah i I think it's it's a very it's a very easy way to write a story if you're just going to pull in stuff from everywhere and not work on execution so much or Mm -hmm. which is not to say that you can't write a great story blah 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 blah. right but i'm gonna make that a disclaimer for this podcast (laughs) yeah it all comes down to execution for everything but that sort of thing of bringing in Mickey Mouse to fight Godzilla or whatever. That's not what we're talking about here with when we talk about multiverse stories. And we're sort of mostly not talking about the sort of planar stories of like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. But I mean, when when you say planar, you have to sort of add a bunch of asterisks to that because Magic the Gathering has a bunch of different planes. But it is very much a multiverse story. Yes. And it's also the kind that uses the setting to do a lot of exploration of different cultures and characters and stuff with the same set of rules, which is, I think, one of the things that you'll you'll see a lot in games that use multiverses more than you will with other kinds of stories, right? Because one of the unique things about, say, a multiverse story that you write 
about in a fantasy world is that you can have different kinds of magic that work in different worlds. Like the really great Harry Potter and the Natural Twenty will have, you know, it'll mash up the Harry Potter magic versus the D and D magic and compare and contrast them in amusing ways. Whereas in Magic: The Gathering, every multiverse, every world in the multiverse works off of the same system of magic. The color wheel, you know, the five colors of magic exist in every in every plane and it makes it different from the kind of multiverse stories where you really get to explore completely unique worlds which is what a lot of other multiverse stories makes what makes a lot of other multiverse stories unique but then there's the science fiction multiverse stories that are like the one where there's no magic involved it's just all sci-fi tech that lets you jump from one world to the other and then explores what a multiverse culture might look like yeah, like the which, time... I, which I like a lot. Yes, uh, yeah, the multiverse cops concept is, is one that I found really cool and interesting. Yeah, so let's talk bound versus unbound multiverses. So bound multiverses, like Fringe, has two universes. Mm-hmm. That's a mild spoiler for Fringe, but two universes, and then that's it. It gets more complicated as the seasons go on, but that's the entire space that you're exploring, at least in the early few seasons or whatever. Jet Li's The One has 256 universes. And that is it. It does not have... Once you have reached the edge of that, that's that's all you have. Whereas something like Sliders has a virtually infinite number of universes, and pretty much any time that you're doing... You're invoking many worlds, you're saying, okay, there all universes exist, and that sort of... There are an infinite number of things that have happened in an infinite number of universes. Right. That's the unbound side of things. And I think you have a very interesting sort of trade-off there in that you can get really specific if you're going to go with there just being like one other world. You can do a lot of really good world building for that to make it like its own unique version of the world. I think it's a lot easier to do if you're doing like a contemporary setting, uh, like or like a real. You have your real world as a setting, and then you have your parallel world as this alternate setting. But so all, all the world building has been done for you in the real world, and your your audience comes in, they know that, mm-hmm. and then you sort of are introducing them to this parallel world. Um, that's how Charles Strauss's Merchant Princes series does it. Is there's our world and then our protagonist slash audience surrogate gets injected into Grunwald, which is sort of a world that sort of got stuck in the medieval era for world building reasons. There's a lot more depth of exploration that you can get if you are not positing that an infinite number of worlds exists. Right. By limiting yourself, you're naturally forcing yourself to build deep rather than wide. Yeah. Your stories bound to the two worlds or the three worlds or whatever it is, so you spend more time on those two or three worlds. Yeah, and I think that there is... I think you just naturally lose some depth. If you just say at the start of your story, like, okay, there are an infinite number of worlds, but we're just going to focus on these two. Yeah, not only do you lose depth... To me, there's a, there's a big danger to the import of what you're doing. The Dark Tower series gets away with this by positing that the events of the Dark Tower world, which doesn't really go named, it's kind of one of the hub worlds that the wheel of, of the multiverse spins on. What happens there echoes through the through the multiverse, and at the center of this world is the Dark Tower, which is the hub of, of all existence, and whatever entity controls it 
like influences events throughout the multiverse and so like the things that happen there matter to a large extent but if you don't do something like that you run the risk of trivializing the conflicts and drama of characters unless you do a really good job of making people care about them yeah which is like rick and morty has Mm -hmm. has a multiverse and they there are a whole bunch of ricks and there are a whole bunch of mortys and they're not there's a lot of work i think put into making sure that you care about this particular Rick and this particular Morty that right. the, the series has been following. I mean, it's also played for for laughs. Right, right, and and they definitely don't even have to do it. Like this is probably the best setting to have that kind of multiverse and and subvert it and play it straight at the same time because sitcoms are notorious for resetting every story, right? like every every episode, right? So no matter what happens in the episode, things just go back to normal the next day. And because Rick and Morty can draw on the multiverse so easily, they can they can literally be like, you know, all the stuff that happened was other Rick and other Morty, and now there's this Rick and this Morty. But they do a really good job of maintaining a continuity that adds extra weight to the story, whereas otherwise it would basically just play for laughs and be very lighthearted. Yeah, and you get a lot of character development yep. sort, sort of following these these characters along such that if Rick and Morty were to die, you would actually care about it. Yeah. Which, which is a, a definite risk if you if you have a multiverse and you say, okay, there are, you know, several thousand versions of our protagonist, then it doesn't it's it's very easy for the audience to say, why do I care? This is no longer interesting to me because if they die, there are just others of them out there. Yeah. Which is not, I think, entirely sensible to to think that. I mean, I, I get it, but it's not, you know, like uh, clones dying. Right, yeah, right. Okay, but... Well, even even then, I would say like you should care about the individual clones. This this to me is so like if someone had ten clones, and this goes back to the the argument of bound versus unbound multiverses. If someone has ten clones, each individual clone matters to a degree, I think. When whereas if you have a infinite amount of clones, kind of doesn't. Yeah. The concentration of ninjutsu, kind of of the of of less worlds or less characters allows each one to, to matter much more. In the one, each time a character dies, every other character with the same name and, and life in the other ver- uh, universes gets a share of their power, however that's vaguely defined. Yeah, and even then, it doesn't... I don't think that, you know, that's sort of the conceit of the one, but I don't think that necessarily matters that much. It's more the fact that, in the end, there are two of them. Right. So it's it's the fact that that you are sort of narrowing down your conflict, and right. if one of them dies, then the conflict is over, right? Or if, if you have an infinite number of protagonists and an infinite number of antagonists, the conflict can't be easily solved unless you have some sort of MacGuffin to to do that. Right, and and it matters because because something has changed in the multiverse. When when there's only a certain amount of worlds and a certain amount of a character, and one of them dies something permanent has shifted in the story that is trackable and and can have consequences that are trackable. Whereas in a story where a character dies and then you can just go to another multiverse and have not even the same name and same face, but a character with the same name and same face who has lived the same life and has the same memories as that person, it becomes much less important that that character died. And that's that's kind of what you have to be careful of when you do, in my view, a, a parallel worlds kind of story. The more different each character is, the more 
the impact of, of their loss can have. If it's the main character, then obviously you're invested in just the main character. But for the side characters, it's, it's really important. So, like Rick and Morty, for example, like Rick and Morty were obviously the only characters we cared about for a long time, and the family were just kind of set pieces. And, like, they died a few times, if I remember correctly, in, in a number of different yeah. worlds. And then they kind of, like, got clued into what was happening, and they stopped dying. They, they stopped, like, you know, they stopped getting killed off or transformed into monsters or whatever. And they kind of got carried along with the adventures because now we care about these particular ones and they matter to us. Um, opposed to all the nameless ones that died that we don't care about. They don't really make any impact on the story if they die or not. Yeah. I generally tend to um, favor our, like, bound yeah. multiverses. I think that you there's a way to cheat, which Sliders does which is that you visit the worlds. You're, you're doing sort of a travelogue style, right? Mm-hmm. In Sliders, they open a portal that goes to, like, a world where 99% of the men have died off and, like, different gender dynamics or whatever. And they go to a world where academic accomplishments are, like, the equivalent of sports. You keep going to these different worlds, and each world is sort of fleshed out for one episode. They changed this in later seasons because the later seasons are terrible. Mm-hmm. There's like Cro-Magnon War and whatever. But um, they, you're sort of going along and you're fleshing out these worlds and you're just using the multiverse as sort of a frame story. And then you have character development within that as these stories are sort of sequentially told. I think that that is a very good way to get around the fact that nothing matters. Mm-hmm. Because you're sort of doing that. I mean, first of all, yeah, you're you're attached to those characters. I think they do they do like one replacement of someone. They they replace one character with their like alternate universe doppelganger. Right. Um, one point, but for the most part, you're you're getting the character development for these individual characters. But then you care about the worlds too, because they have their own sort of dramas that you're introduced to and that you're given focus to. Mm-hmm. If you're writing a, a multiverse story, you want to be very conscious of that, that you're not just throwing worlds away. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to use them up in your, in your readers or your viewers um, attention. Yeah. Well, and uh, so star Wars, the force awakens yeah. mild, mild spoilers. <laughs> uh, I know exactly what you're about to say. <laughs> there's this point where this like, new Death Star just blows up these five yep. capital planets. And it's like... No one cares. cares? <laughs> no one... You don't, never even heard of them before. Not even in the... Not, not just in the previous movies. Like, even this movie didn't even... Like, nothing. You see them on screen, like, five seconds before they blow up, and it just... Yes, that's, like, trillions of lives or whatever. So sad. But I don't care because they've give, been given no focus, no weight, no no introduction, and... There are no characters that I care about, and no impact. Like there's no, there's nothing that we see or hear about, or or even observe briefly for other characters that make them think like, oh shit, my whole family just died because it was on one of those worlds, or oh no, those were the five core economic planets. Now the republic will fall apart. Like nothing, nothing at all. And hopefully they go into that in the next movie. But I gotta say that was one of the. We we can have a whole episode on the Force Awakens one day because I really didn't like it. But um, yeah, like there was there was a lot of problems with that that I see in a lot of multiverse stories in terms of right. using up which should be a dramatic moment but it's rendered non-dramatic by the circumstances yeah and i think that you can you can make the deaths of people who don't matter you can make that 
impactful. There there are ways to do that. And I think that if you're if you're going like full multiverse, if you're going the unbound, you know Infinite lots, lots of places in you can make that have weight if like an atomic bomb goes off in a single version of New York City. You just it's one of those things you need to be careful about so that you're not just using that to try to press some elemental lever in someone's brain. Yeah. The the Dark Tower series does such a good job of this in, in a lot of ways that I, I'm going to keep bringing it up because, I mean, Stephen King is a phenomenal writer, in my view, and that's part of what it is. He makes you care about these characters so much that even knowing that there are, for example, a potentially infinite amount of, of Jakes and Eddies and, and maybe not Rollins because he's from the central world, but um, the but these these characters are in many respects, not unique. But they're unique to us, the readers, because we spend so much time with them that they cannot be easily replaced, even if they're killed off in someone with more or less the same backstory and memories and, and stuff comes along. There's there's a definitive line between them in your mind as, as a reader. That's the thing you need to you really need to focus on if you're going to be writing a multiverse story, I think, especially an unbound infinite multiverse parallel world kind of story, because if you don't make use of the multiple characters, then it's going to remain an unanswered question for the readers, I think, especially if your characters are trying to munchkin, as they should be in a, in a rational story to some degree. Yeah. There's that comic demon, yep. where the conceit is that this guy, every time he dies, he just takes over the, the body of the of the person closest to him. And at some point in the, in the comic, spoilers, there's a multiverse, infinite, uh, unbound universe pulled in and he just starts like wave like for um, for what I'm sure it was originally conceived as comedic effect it's mostly a meant to be a humorous comic just wave after wave of parallel universe of the same person goes in goes into the story and it essentially completely trivializes what's yeah. already a fairly low stake story and that's the fine line I was talking about before like it's, it's hard to balance making things matter while also taking advantage of the multiverse of the parallel universes, of the fact that there are ten versions of, of a character, so if one of them is your main character, and he has all these skills and, and intellect and everything that you want to make use of, why not just pull in nine more of them and have them gang up on this shared goal or something like that? Yeah, so I think we've covered some of the pitfalls of multiverse stories. Um, one one other example I wanted to mention, though, is uh, Star Trek Voyager had this like two-parter that was like Year in Hell or whatever, and Harry Kim died and it was like this big dramatic moment. And then it's revealed that that like happened in a multiverse and then they have to like collapse these two separate universes together for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then Harry Kim gets, comes back and he's like been changed by it and whatever that might've worked if they had better writers, but you don't want to cheapen a moment like that. Yeah. And this is a major criticism of obviously the, the comic book, uh, Marvel and DC universes where, you know, no one ever dies because even if they do, they'll be brought back to life or a multiverse version of them will come in and, and or you just change focus completely and, and reboot the universe into the, a different multiverse or something like that. Yeah. So those are the pitfalls. Um, how to actually write a good multiverse story. So I think, I think for me, the thing that you need to really work on is making those worlds sort of distinct. If you're writing a multiverse story, you really want to focus hard on your world building. Uh, obviously, you know, there, there are different ways to do 
a multiverse story. But if you're having someone go to an alternate version of like New Orleans, you want to sort of soak the reader in those differences and then soak the reader in the setting. And when they meet, you know, different characters who have like different viewpoints because they came from different societies, you really need to put a lot of, put a lot of weight in the story into that. Yeah. I would say for me, limits like, like magic systems, the limits are more interesting than, possibilities in this sense obviously if you're writing if, if the kind of story you're writing is a parallel infinite multiverse story then that's like the conceit of the story so you're working within those definitions and you can write a lot of really great stories like that yeah there was one i read where the, you, people sort of leave their universe in this spaceship type thing and then when they come back they have trouble targeting the right universe and so right Sometimes they end up in a universe that's like slightly to the left of the one that they that they left and causes all sorts of like existential questions. I think that's a great yeah that's a great thing to build a story around that sort of ignores other multiverse rules, but you need to you need to be aware that that's that's where you're going with it. Right. Being unable to fully always control when you do it or having a limited amount of ability to take things with you. Yeah, Sliders had a couple interesting a couple interesting limitations, which was they had this device that first off, you are never supposed to slide twice. Right? You're supposed to slide once and then after a certain amount of time you you slide back to the world that you originally came from. And the very first episode, he violates this rule, and then they find out that they have no way of getting back to their own Earth. But then their like sliding device, every time you go to a new universe, there's like a countdown timer before you can slide again. And so there's sort of this built-in drama. drama from it. And it also is a built-in limitation because you you can't control where you go and there's a set amount of time, and sometimes you want to get out as fast as possible, and sometimes you don't want to leave at all. Right. They had a very bad habit of cutting down to the wire, but that's that's a right issue that's fairly easy to solve. The Long Earth did the uh, you can't carry metal with you from one world to the next, I believe. Yes. Along with a few differences between people who were like naturally inclined to to transfer worlds versus others, but the not being able to carry metal with you is a great one for the. Especially for the concept of the Long Earth, which was that most of these other worlds are, are completely empty. Like, they're pristine natural worlds uh, without humans in them. So that's a very important limitation in that kind of setting, because now it opens up whole new kinds of stories you can write about, the fun- like, reinventing the frontier culture and, and that kind of thing. So limits like that, I think, are very important, because fiction in general, especially fantasy and science fiction, speculative fiction, is all about possibilities. And when you have, by the nature of an infinite parallel universe story infinite possibilities and infinite space to take a story without limits in the kinds of worlds there are or the types of traveling you can do you're going to run into trouble creating sufficient drama and conflict for your story that can't be easily ignorable or easily solved by a smart enough character so going like going back to the idea of writing rational fiction with a munchkin character you should be very aware of the fact that multiverse stories can easily go off the rails in terms of 
what a character can do if they're, if they're smart enough and they don't have enough limits on them uh, in a multiverse story, particularly. There was a really great movie that I enjoyed the hell out of called The Last Action Hero, where the conceit is that there's a magic golden ticket that lets you travel into worlds of, of movies. Yeah. And it's a lot of campiness and greatness and subversion of tropes, and it's fantastically entertaining. Like, that's the kind of thing that is so easily abusable that if the main character wasn't a kid who didn't originally know what the ticket could do, it was all accidental, the things that you could do with a ticket that allowed you to take movie characters into the real world is mind-boggling. Yeah. And that's 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 why you need like some kind of limit on that kind of power. If anyone ever writes a rationalist last-action hero story, I would hope that the golden ticket... Um, has a huge cooldown or can only be activated with very rare circumstances or something like that because you very quickly would be getting into ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny territory. Yeah, I think one other way that you can sort of inject good story elements into a multiverse story is, like we were saying earlier, multiverse cop. Yeah. That's one formulation of it, but more generally having other entities who can travel around the multiverse balancing forces yeah balancing forces you have a protagonist who can go to these different worlds it makes sense to have them just to set them up with an antagonist who can go to different worlds as well it sort of depends on what your protagonist is attempting to accomplish but you can add in other things like you know the question is if you have 10 universes why why isn't this guy teaming up with like nine other versions of himself well, you can set them at odds with each other. You can. Yep. I think that's a really great way of examining a character is to sort of take different aspects of them and evolve them and then have them fight. Fringe does that really well. But it's one of the ways that you can sort of have your cake and eat it too, as far as avoiding the munchkin aspects too much. Yeah. Like, Munchkin aspects are good, you just don't want them to overshadow character and plot and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's some rules to rational fiction that I think make multiverse stories even more interesting than they might otherwise be. You know, like, generally speaking, the multiverse stories that I've read and enjoyed, I always always feel like there's untapped potential in them. So I I would be interested in seeing more rational stories that were set in multiverses. But that is a problem that would have to be carefully handled. Yeah. Yeah, I'm writing one right now. It's War of the Many Worlds. It's like War of the Worlds, but... I mean, like, it's it's fan fiction of War of the Worlds, but sort of the conceit is that the, quote, Martian attack was the result of parallel Earth travelers rather than actual aliens from Mars, which is ridiculous. Right. I really like the concept of the multiverse, but it's it's a very difficult thing to grapple with if you're trying to be sensible about it. Yep. There's a lot of interesting space to explore. Going back to the idea of multiverse where the rules are just different in other universes. So you can have a story where not just a different magic system in one world versus another, but also a multiverse where characters from different worlds are intrinsically bound to the world that they're in, in some regard. It creates a lot of drama and conflict, and honestly, it limits your happy endings in quite a number of ways. And limiting your happy endings is part of what I think it makes good story writing. You want a happy ending that feels earned and not one that's just too easy to get. Yeah. Okay, so that more or less covers it for the basics of multiverse stories. This is a topic that we might address again in the future at some point. Next time, we're going to be talking about serialized stories. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned after the outro music for another book recommendation, and tune in next time.
thanks for sticking around. Today's book recommendation is The Dark Tower series by Stephen King. It's one of his most famous works and an amazing read both for the characters and the world building. The plot follows Roland of Gilead, the last gunslinger, who were basically knights in a world with Wild West level technology. The multiverse the story takes place in is winding down, and Roland travels through multiple worlds, including ours, as he searches for the Dark Tower at the center of existence to set things right. It's not a perfect story, but it made me laugh and cry and all that good stuff multiple times, and it touches on a lot of the tropes of multiverse stories in some of the most entertaining ways I've ever seen, especially if you're a fan of other Stephen King books, and have read ones like The Stand, or Salem's Lot, or Insomnia, or Hearts in Atlantis. None of them are necessary to enjoy the Dark Tower on its own, but they add an extra backstory for some characters and worlds that will show up throughout the series. Now, I'm going to do something unusual here and recommend that you don't start at the first book. Seriously, I cannot emphasize enough how important that is. Every single time I've recommended this book series to someone, I told them to start in the second book. I don't personally know anyone who started on the first book and went past it. I certainly didn't. Instead, start on the second book, The Drawing of the Three. The first book, called The Gunslinger, has very poetic prose and a very kind of disjointed plot. It's worth reading, but after you've already gotten hooked on the series, not as an introduction to it. I myself picked the drawing of the three up off a library shelf when I was 14 and immediately got swept into the story and didn't even find the first book to read until I'd already finished the fourth one. There are seven books in total, and you can find them all, including other great Stephen King books, on audible.com, a great site to help build your audiobook library. If you join today by visiting www.audibletrial.com rational, you get a free month subscription and one book credit to use on any book of your choice, including the drawing of the three. And as a plus, by using that link, you help us pay for the show. Thanks for listening, and as the gunslinger would say, long days and pleasant nights.